Part two, chapter one of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sinkevich, translated by Binion and Malevsky. Part two, chapter one. Vinitius was awakened by a poignant pain. Where was he? What was happening? For a moment he could not tell. There was a roaring in his ears, a mist over his eyes. Gradually he came into full possession of his senses, and through that mist he saw three men bending over him. Two of them he recognized. The first was Ursus. The second was the old man whom he had knocked down as he fled with Lygia. The third was a stranger. He had hold of Vinitius's left hand, and was feeling the arm from the elbow to the shoulder-blade. This caused such exquisite agony that Vinitius, imagining it was some scheme of vengeance that was being wreaked upon him, cried through his set teeth, "'Kill me!' The men paid no attention to these words. They acted as though they had not heard them, or, hearing, deemed them but the meaningless moans of a badly wounded man. Ursus, his face serious, yet stern in its strong barbaric lines, held a bundle of white linen rags torn into long strips. The old man was addressing the stranger. Glaucus, he said, art thou certain that the wound in the head is not mortal? I am certain, worthy Crispus, was the reply. While serving as a slave in the galleys, and later, while residing in Naples, I occupied my spare time in nursing the wounded. With my earnings I purchased my own freedom and that of my family. The wound in the head is a slight one. When this man, he nodded at Ursus, snatched the girl from the young man, he knocked him against the wall. To save himself, the youngster shielded his head with his arm, which he dislocated and broke. Thou hast had many of my brethren under thy care, replied Crispus, and thou art renowned as a skilful physician. That is why I sent Ursus for thee. Ursus? Why, he is the man who on the way hither confessed that yesterday he was ready to kill me. Before he made that confession to thee, he had already said the same to me. I, who know thee and thy love for Christ, explained to him that not thou, but that stranger who sought to incite him to murder, is the traitor. "'Twas an evil spirit which I took for a good one,' replied Ursus, with a sigh. "'Tell me all about it some other time. Let us now care for the patient.' With these words Glaucus proceeded to set the broken arm. Vinitius, notwithstanding the water which Crispus sprinkled over his face, fainted away. This was fortunate, as it saved him from feeling the setting of the bones, and the tightening of the bandages around the two splints between which Glaucus placed the arm so as to render it immovable. After the operation was over, Vinitius revived. He woke to see Lygia. She was standing by his bed. In one hand she held a bronze pail, wherein Glaucus from time to time dipped his sponge, wetting the head of the patient. Vinitius stared. He could not believe his eyes. Was this a gracious vision vouchsafed him by the fever? It was some time before he could whisper, Lygia! At the sound of his voice the pail trembled in her hand. She turned upon him eyes full of sorrow. "'Peace be with thee,' she murmured faintly. She stood there with outstretched hands, her face beaming with pity. He stared at her as though he wished to fasten her image upon his retina where it might remain after his eyelids were closed. He stared at her face, paler and thinner now than ever before, at the dark tresses of her hair, at her cheap working-girl's dress. He stared so fixedly that under the influence of his gaze her snowy forehead flushed a rosy red. 
his first thought was that he would love her always his next that her pallor and her poverty were due to him to him who had driven her from a home where she was surrounded by love and plenty and forced her into the wretched hovel and clad her with this threadbare dress of dark wool willingly would he have arrayed her in the costliest gold brocade and adorned her with the most precious jewels in the world wonder and alarm and pity overcame him if he could have stirred he would have thrown himself at her feet lygia he said thou didst not suffer me to be killed in sweet low tones she replied may god restore thee to health to vinitius mindful of all the harm which he had brought down upon her in the remote and more recent past these words were as balm he forgot for a moment that her lips could utter christian teachings he felt only that the speaker was the woman he loved and that her reply was fraught with a special tenderness a superhuman goodness which stirred him to the depths of his being once more he grew weak it was not pain now but emotion that overcame him a faintness overwhelming but delicious seized him it seemed to him as if he were falling into a deep abyss yet the fall was a delight and he was happy at that moment he felt as though face to face with a divinity glaucus had now finished laving the wound in his head and had placed upon it a healing salve ursus took the basin from the hands of lygia who lifting a cup of wine and water from the table placed it to the lips of the sufferer Vinitius drank eagerly, and felt immediate relief. After the wounds and bruises had been dressed the pain almost ceased. Perfect consciousness returned to him. "'Give me more drink,' he said. Lygia retired with the empty cup to the next room. Crispus, after exchanging a few words with Glaucus, approached the bed. "'Vinitius,' he said, "'God did not allow thee to accomplish a great wrong. He preserved thy life in order that thou shouldst repent. He in whose sight man is but dust gave thee unarmed into our hands, but Christ in whom we believe has commanded us to love even our enemies. We dressed thy wounds, and as Lygia has said, we will pray God to restore thy health, but we cannot care for thee any further. Peace be with thee, therefore.' but consider whether it be right to continue thy persecutions of lygia whom thou hast deprived of home and guardians and of us who have returned to thee good for evil is it your intention to leave me asked vinitius it is our intention to leave this building where the city prefect can reach us thy comrade has been killed thou who art a man of influence among thine own people lie here wounded twas no fault of ours but we might be made to answer for it before the law fear not said vinitius i will protect you from prosecution crispus did not explain that their fear was not solely on account of the prefect and the police but of vinitius also whom they could not trust and from whose further pursuit they wished to protect lygia master thy right hand is well he said here are stylus and tablets write to thy servants that they come here with a litter and bear thee to thy home where thou wilt have better accommodations than our poverty can afford we are living here with a poor widow who will soon return with her son the lad will carry thy letter as to ourselves we will seek another hiding-place vinitius paled he saw that they wished to part him from lygia in losing her again he felt that he would lose her for life he recognized that grave obstacles had intruded themselves between him and her and that he must think up some scheme to gain possession of her but for this he needed time 
he perceived also that whatever he might tell these people even if he swore that he would return lygia to pomponia graecina they would not believe him and would be right in their unbelief long before in lieu of harassing lygia he might have gone to pomponia and sworn to renounce all further pursuit then pomponia might have found the girl and taken her back no he felt that no promises of this kind could impose upon them nor could his solemn oath be taken since he was no christian and could only swear in the name of the immortal gods in whom he himself had scant belief and whom they looked upon as evil spirits fain would he have conciliated lygia and her guardians in any possible way but this required time he felt the need of seeing her even for a few days as a drowning man sees safety in every fragment of a plank or an oar it seemed to him that during these few days he might say some words which would bring her closer to him that he might resolve some scheme or that some lucky accident might occur collecting his thoughts he said hearken to me o christians yesterday i was with ye in ostranium i listened to your teachings even if i had not heard them your actions alone would have convinced me that ye are upright and inoffensive people bid the widow who dwells in this house to remain here do you also remain and allow me to remain let this man he turned his eyes on glaucus who is a physician or at least understands the dressing of wounds judge whether it would be safe to transfer me elsewhere to-night i am sick i have a broken arm which must remain immovable for at least a few days therefore i say to you that i will not leave here save ye bear me away by force and with that he stopped speaking his bruised breast refusing him further utterance no one o master will use force against thee we alone will take ourselves from here to a place of safety the youth unused to opposition knit his brows let me take breath he cried in a moment he began to speak again nobody will ask after croto whom ursus strangled he intended to go to-day to beneventum whither he was called by vatinius everybody will think he is on his way when we came with croto to this house nobody saw us save one man a greek who was with us in ostranium i will tell you where he resides bring him here i will order him to keep silence for he is in my pay i will write home that i have also gone to beneventum if the greek has already informed the prefect i will say that it was i who killed croto for that he broke my arm i swear by the ashes of my father and my mother that i will do this therefore ye may remain here without danger not a hair on any head will be injured bring the greek to me at once his name is chilo chilonides in that case said crispus glaucus will remain with thee o master and will aid the widow in caring for thee vinitius frowned more darkly hearken old man to what i say he cried i owe thee gratitude thou seemest to be good and harmless but thou dost not utter that which is in the bottom of thy heart thou fearest lest i call my slaves and take lygia is it not so it is so replied crispus gravely take heed then see that i speak with chilo in your presence and in your presence i will write home saying that i have gone i will select no other messengers save you take heed thyself and do not further vex me as he spoke his face was distorted with anger a little later he resumed violently 
think ye i will deny that it is for her sake i wish to remain here a fool could perceive this even were i to deny it but i will no longer attempt force where she is concerned to thee i will say one thing more if she will not remain here with this well hand i will tear away the bandages from my arm i will take neither food nor drink and may my death rest upon the heads of thee and thy brothers why didst thou nurse me why didst thou not command my death he was now pale with anger and weakness lygia in the next room had overheard all she was confident that vinitius would keep his promises his words alarmed her not for anything would she have wished his death wounded and unarmed he had awakened her pity and not her fear from the time of her escape she had lived among religious enthusiasts whose only thoughts were of sacrifices oblations and unlimited almsgiving to such a degree was she imbued with the spirit of her surroundings that it took the place of her home of her family of her lost happiness and transformed her into one of those christian virgins whose influence was to change the erstwhile soul of the world Vinitius was too important a factor in her life, he had thrown himself too obtrusively in her way, to make it possible for her to forget him. For whole days she had thought of him. Often she had prayed God to send an opportunity when, following the dictates of her faith, she might return him good for evil and charity for persecution, might humble his pride and win him to Christ. And now the opportunity had come. Her prayers had been answered. She approached Crispus, her face beaming as that of one inspired. When she spoke it was though some other voice were finding utterance through her lips. Crispus, she said, suffer him to remain with us, and we will remain with him until Christ has healed him. To the aged presbyter, accustomed to see in all things the finger of God, Lygia's exaltation took on the aspect of a direct message from on high. He bent his head, and with awe in his heart answered, Be it so on vinitius who had never taken his eyes from the virgin's face this immediate obedience of crispus produced a strange and profound impression it seemed to him that lygia was a sibyl or priestess among these christians who rendered her honor and obedience almost against his will he surrendered himself to that honor to the love that he felt was now added a kind of awe before which love itself seemed impertinence he did not know how to accustom himself to the thought that their relations were now changed, that now it was he that was at her mercy, not she at his. Lying here sick and broken, he had ceased to be the aggressor and the conqueror, and was merely a helpless child under her guardianship. To his haughty and domineering nature such a relation with any other being would have been a humiliation this time however not only did he not feel humiliated but he was grateful to her as to a superior these were new feelings which he could never before have dreamed of as a possibility and which even then would have astonished him if he could have explained them to himself but now he did not ask why this thing had happened he accepted it as something absolutely natural he simply felt happy at being allowed to remain where she was he wished to thank her with gratitude and some other feeling so little known to him that he could not name it for it was humility but the excitement he had gone through so exhausted him that he could not speak he could only thank her with his eyes wherein shone joy that he could remain with her could look on her to-morrow and the next day mayhap for a long time there was only one fear to spoil his joy the fear of losing what he had gained 
so great was this fear that when lygia once more approached him with a cup he had to suppress a wild craving to grasp her hand he dared not do it yet he was the same vinitius who at nero's banquet had forcibly kissed her lips and after her escape had sworn that he would drag her by the hair to his bed or order her to be flogged End of part two, chapter one.